Welcome to Kingdom Talk, the podcast where we talk all about things kingdom. I'm your host, Mark Banyard, and I'll be interviewing a variety of people who, through their lives and ministries, have been committed to advancing the kingdom of God. Church planters, church leaders, pioneers of missions and ministries, both at home as well as abroad. So let's go straight to today's episode of Kingdom Talk. My guest today on the show is David McDaniel. David and his wife Maria have recently returned to the United States, having been in Japan ministering for the last 15 years. Now based in Alaska, they are once again pioneering a new work in advancing the kingdom of God. Hi, David. Welcome back to the show. It is good to be back, my friend. Good to have you back. We so, I so enjoyed our discussion chat interview uh, just a week ago that uh, we were anxious to have you back as soon as possible because we really only got through the first part, didn't we? It was a pretty important first part because, I mean, today we're going to talk about the actual process of pioneering, but it's interesting how the Lord directed last week because it was really about the foundation of all things kingdom, really. If you don't know who you are in Christ with an understanding of, of his destiny and purpose on your life, then you won't be able to give that away. You can only give away religion. And so I felt like the Lord laid a good foundation, but it's going to be fun to dive into the topic of pioneering properly. I remember several years ago when I came to an understanding that Jesus really didn't talk a lot about the church, right? but he talked about the kingdom of God. In fact, right. I, was, I was so um, confronted, I guess, in a sense, when I realized this, um, I could only find two places in the whole gospel where, where Jesus talked about the church, and um, but the rest of the time, it's all about the kingdom of God. It's right. about the kingdom of heaven, um, about advancing the kingdom of God. So I kind of went from a uh, church-based perspective of the kingdom to a kingdom-based perspective of the church. Right. But that totally changed everything for me. Yeah. Now, I know we've talked about that before, but uh, why don't you sh- just to share a little bit about your own um, revelation and experience of that? I, I think it's really important to get that there is only a kingdom understanding of church. And, and I know you understand that at a very deep level, because even when he uses the word church, the, what we translate as church, the word he used in Greek was ekklesia. And our, our, our English translations say church. But what he said was ecclesia. And this would have been shocking. It would have been the language of the oppressor because he should have said something like synagogue or my, you know, or, or, or my temple. But what he says is, I'll build my ecclesia. And there was an ecclesia in Israel, and it was a Roman outpost that operated as a governmental assembly. It was stolen from a Greek model of government where the Greeks would gather together as an ecclesia to make governmental decisions for Greece. And the Romans co-opted this term. And it was even applied to a group of people that, that would gather around the emperor and listen to the words of his mouth and record it and make sure 
that it was exacted, that it was built precisely throughout the Roman Empire. So, so this was, the, again, I said this before, the language of the oppressor, and he's co-opting this term to say, you don't really get it. I am going to build my government, my kingdom, and ecclesia is an actual governmental functionary to see that happen. And so I believe that's why there's been such an attack on this idea of church, because Satan is not threatened by a bunch of Christians who stay in the four walls. He's terrified of a group of people who begin to understand that as sons, daughters, priests, and kings, that they have governmental authority to go and shift the atmosphere in the spheres that they're called to. This is a dangerous thing. So that that was a big revelation for me uh, in the journey towards understanding what it is we're designed to do and how that informs pioneering to do more than just starting another religious work somewhere. Right. So that is your understanding. What about your experience? So how was that, how was that applied for you? How did, how did you work that out in the real mission field? <laughs> With a lot of, a lot of mistakes, a lot of stumbling <laughs> around because I didn't get this when I started. When I started, it was a very simple call of the Lord telling me to resign from my church. And I said, okay, great. Well, what's next? And last, you know, last week I shared about um, this wrestling about not being in the white hot center of God's will and asking him to get us in the center of his will. That, that began a year of shaking that culminated with one day, he said, I want you to resign from the church. And I said, well, Lord, I have, I have a mortgage. I have a kid. I, you know, a wife have responsibilities. Yes. I have to be a responsible human. And he says, I, I really want you to resign. And I said, well, what's next? And he said, I'm not going to tell you until you close this door by faith. Wow. So th there's a term that I've heard. That's you a use. challenge. Oh, you use this term about bungee jumping without the bungee. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's, that's what this was. Leap out into nothing and trust that I'll catch you. You know, we don't have time for that whole story, but the, the long and short of it is we did a short-term trip to Japan that ended up becoming a long-term call. What, what year would that have been? 2001. Okay. So we go, we take a worship team to Japan, and I had actually been offered a job as a youth pastor at a church in San Francisco. And we thought that was going to be it. It was really good paying and it was a chance to build and all these great things, nothing wrong with it. But while we were in Japan, my wife has a picture. We're in, we're in a worship setting and she has a picture of a, like a map of Japan. If you could see the whole thing at night and there were these, these what looked like candles burning and she asked the Lord, what am I seeing here? He said, those are people that are worshiping me. And she started to cry. She said, Lord, there are so few. And he said, that's right. Will you come worship me here? 
it was really mm. interesting. Just will you worship me here? Not not will you be a missionary? Not will you plant a church? Will you worship me? It was a very specific request. And she said yes. And she turned to me. I was sitting right next to her through this whole experience. She turned to me and she said, sweetheart, I, I feel like we're supposed to move to Japan. And there was that instant witness in the spirit. And so we went home, told the church that offered us the job that we would not be taking it, and put our house on the market, sold it in one day from an ad in the paper. Okay. <laughs> And then launched out into YWAM, Youth with a Mission. We did our, our Crossroads DTS in uh, Kona in 2001, right after 9-11, by the way. And, uh, and I remember writing the last check out of the sale of our home and feeling like I was going to vomit. I was so full of fear. This was not the mighty man of faith. This was... What have I done? I'm an idiot. I sold my house. I quit a good job. What am I thinking? And I went and paced and prayed around this place called the Avenue of the Flags, um, or the Plaza of the Flags, and and just was crying out to God and got one of my first revelations of, of how he does business. He said to me, David, it wasn't your idea to do this. It was my idea. If I owned, a, if I was your earthly father and I owned a company and I asked you to go to Japan on company business, would I expect you to pay the bills? I said, no. And he said, well, this isn't like that. This is that. I'm your father. My business is the kingdom. I'm sending you to Japan on company business and I am going to pay the bills. And that, that began a 20-year journey of faith for provision. But those stones of remembrance for provision also began to lay the foundation for believing for wholesale breakthrough in one of the largest unreached people groups on the planet. Wow. Wow. So you found yourself in Japan. Yes. And... <laughs> well, we went there to pioneer a school of worship. Okay. What what actually happened is we ended up, I've been getting all these words about Nehemiah. Once, yeah, word about Nehemiah, rebuild the walls, woohoo. And then second, yeah, confirmation. And then a third word about Nehemiah, awesome, wow, this is great. Then fifth, sixth, seventh, okay, I get it. Ninth, tenth. All right, I'm. I'm. I get it. Then no more the, yelling. <laughs> yeah. By the thirteenth time, I got thirteen mm. words from thirteen different people about Nehemiah. I realized that if the Lord keeps repeating Himself this much, I don't get it. So I started studying Nehemiah, and it ended up being a study of Ezra and Nehemiah because they're really together, which which definitely led to you know a study of of uh, Haggai and. But I, I started studying it, and when we finally did get to Japan, it was, the Lord said, for the first two years, I want you to shut up and ride the walls, like, like Nehemiah did at night. And so, just began to get the lay of the land, and I, I want to be careful what I say here, but there was a lot of stuff that was really out of order. And so, it wasn't just jumping in and piring a new thing, it was moving apostolically. 
And I didn't call myself an apostle, and I still don't call myself an apostle. But I was called to move apostolically, and the secular roots of that was that the apostle was oftentimes also an admiral who would would come into a new area with architects and builders and accountants and materials and rebuild and mm. build, I should say, a mini version of, of Rome. And right. sometimes things needed to be torn down in order to build the right thing. Right. And that's the position I found myself in of having to, to, I had no title. I had no place of authority. So I could do nothing from a position of authority. It had to be petitioning through the throne. I had to learn to intercede. And it became about tearing down some old things and building some new things. And it literally resulted in pioneering, closing down an old base and pioneering a new base, literally starting from nothing. It was my wife and myself and um, a couple named John and Rhonda and a couple of young people and no buildings and no resources and no schools and just really having to build from the ground up. Mm-hmm. And, and it took courage and it took faith and it took persistence and consistency. So if I can just jump in here um, yeah. for our listeners who may not be familiar, familiar with youth with a mission, mm. when you talk about a base, uh, what is kind of the basic what would the ba- the basic thought be behind establishing a base um, in a foreign field? Well, YWAM has um, a set of core values, but we have three pillars that we build kind of everything on. It's evangel- evangelism, training, and mercy ministry. And so a base literally operates as an operating location by which you have community worship, community prayer, community training. And it is your launch point, your aircraft carrier, if you will, mm-hmm. to launch sorties out into unreached people groups. Right. Did that answer the question? <clears throat> yeah, it did. Um, it, and it did well. But let me just make it super simple for people who are still going, what? Yeah. Um, I think in the most simple kind of way to put it is that it is a, it is a, tr- it is a staffed training facility where people come to to do a school which is called the Discipleship Training School, yeah. where the first part of it is local in-class training, relationship, community, so, so on and so forth. And then the second part is the outreach where you actually take what you've learned, go to a mission field in a supervised way, yeah. and, and there you actually do the stuff of the kingdom. Yeah, we call it the live-learn model. It, live-learn. You know, that you you've You've got, you know, you do first, then teach. So sometimes some YWAM bases get that a little backwards. We were missionaries in Japan first. And so, and then we trained from that place. So when students would come from all over the world to do a discipleship training school with us, one of the things that we did is got them involved in local ministry right off the bat. Mm. Because we weren't really excited about having people come back to join YWAM we were really excited about people coming back to reach Japan. And, and that is a pretty important distinction to make, mm. you know, that, that they were about, again, you mentioned like a kingdom view of Ecclesia. Well, this is, I think where you and I connected as friends so early on, because we always wanted to have a kingdom view of YWAM. YWAM is mm-hmm. a container. 
but it's just a container. And it's about serving the king yes. and comforting his heart by reaching people that he burns for. Mm. Amen. Amen. Well, let me just push this a little bit further, uh, yeah. further ahead. Um, I, if YWAM was already established all those years ago by Lauren Cunningham, which is another story for another time. Fantastic story. If YWAM had already been established, um, uh, how I'm trying to be a bit provocative here. <laughs> if if YWAM's already been established, how is it that your work in Japan was pioneering? That's a very good question. I th I think it is a bit provocative because, I, you know, things can get established on cracked foundations. And when they're established on cracked foundations, you can't build very high on on things that aren't stable at the foundation and and in the case of of YWAM in Japan some of the foundations were cracked not all but in Tokyo there was just a, there had been a lot of damage done and a lot of hurt and um it really felt like we needed to relay the foundations and those foundations are the things we talked about in the last episode and I'll expand a little bit right now the Lord gave me a very clear word, build people, not ministries. Hmm. If you build people, the ministry takes care of itself. It is that spirit of adoption. Do they know, again, it's like broken record time, that they're sons and daughters and then hmm. priests and kings. Do you have a place that is so healthy that it becomes a juggernaut? that men cannot stop. And so we had to go back to the beginning. And, and one of the primary pieces for that was building the altar of worship. We felt like the center of our community had to be worship and prayer. So we, I, I have a heavy word background, and we wanted to make sure that everything was word and spirit. But, but the main thing we did every day was we would worship and we would pray and we would go after the heart of the king. What's so cool about that is that it actually ties right back into the vision that Maria had, where yes. God said, will you come to Japan to worship? Yeah. I mean, it, he was pretty clear what he wanted, and so it was just a matter of doing it, and it was the, the, the ministry I've been involved in the longest has been worship. I started leading worship in 1984. Again, I kind of want to do a whole teaching on worship right now, but it, it isn't singing. It's, it's not about singing a bunch of songs. It's actually about a, a discipline of thankfulness and a discipline of declaring the goodness and the bigness of God. And, and when we sing, it produces a unity of spirit and a unity of agreement you know, um, worship comes from our heart. The singing's a vehicle. And so what I see in Scripture is that when we thank Him and when we praise Him, and praise is just, it's just like the normal English word we use. We talk about what we like about somebody, who they are, what they've done. We don't overcomplicate it. And so when we sing about the goodness and the bigness of God, um, he talks about Him inhabiting the praises of his people. And 
So he shows up, and when he shows up, it produces a response, and that response is worship. So the songs are a vehicle. It ain't the thing itself. You can sing without ever actually praising. True. Very true. You can put a bunch of religious words out there, and it can be dry as a popcorn hiccup. But when you encounter the presence of God, when you encounter the presence of God, it shifts things. So you're in Japan. You're building an altar of worship. Yeah. You're establishing or re-establishing a base from scratch. Yeah. And God blesses that. Yes. Yeah, I... Well, it's interesting. Remember the word that he gave us, you know, build people, not ministries. Mm. So when people would come to us, it it was sort of this trifecta of get them in the word, get them working through their junk without letting them become introspective, and then help them learn how to build the altar of worship in whatever sphere they were called to. And so we just we just began to grow. People were attracted to life and health, and they began to come. And they were from Norway, and Fiji, and Japan, and Korea, and the Dominican Republic, and, and you know, Paraguay, and all these places, yeah, and, and yeah. Canada. Yeah. yeah, we had quite a few. There was even a couple of Americans there, believe it or not. It's hard so, to believe. Yeah, I know. So, so you and, get the base, and the base yeah. is operating. You're doing discipleship training schools. Uh, you, you're doing uh, not at all to suggest that this is just kind of rote, you know, off-the-shelf textbook kind of thing. But you've got some things established, and the yeah. base is running, and you're being blessed. I, I'm going to push you forward into the living room because uh, yeah. because – We've walked together for some time, and uh, I, when I think of you now, I think of the living room. So what is the living room? What is the revelation of that to you, and how does that relate to the kingdom of God and pioneering? Okay, so the, it's interesting how God births things, because a lot of times God bursts things from places that you wouldn't expect. And the living room actually came out of a personal place of pain. Um, when you're on the front lines, there's warfare. You have to know how to do spiritual warfare. You have to know how, the, the schemes of the enemy. And the enemy knows how to go after us. Now, I don't want to give him any glory. I don't want to give him any more airtime than absolutely necessary. But Paul did say, I would not have you be ignorant of the devil's schemes. Right. And if we are ignorant, you know, if you don't see a punch coming, you're going to get hit. So there you go. You know, I, I Japanese tell me, oh, we're afraid of spiritual warfare. I said, why? Well, I'm afraid the devil will, will attack me. I'm like, wait, he's already attacking you. You might as well hit him back, you know? <laughs> so it was, it was in one of these seasons of spiritual warfare and the enemy had hit me with a one-two punch that was primarily based around some pretty deep betrayals and disappointments. And it was interesting. It was you and I were talking about a potential uh, ministry event coming up, you coming from Canada to come visit us in Japan. And, you know, when you and I would get on our, our Skype calls back then, 
you and I was, it was the heart check-in and you said, how are you doing? And it was so interesting. The minute you asked it, I was like, I'm not doing good, not doing well. Mm-hmm. And I began to cry and you're like, whoa, what's up? And, and I realized that my heart had been so uh, ravaged by this betrayal that I had, I had moved into this low level depression that had just gone deeper. Um, I was still worshiping, still praying, but my personal disciplines with the Lord were waning. And I was like, Mark, I, I actually think I'm in trouble. And you and your friends got on the plane and came out. And all we did for two weeks was invite the presence of God in worship, specifically again. And the prophetic began to flow. In and your living room. In my living room in Tokorozawa. Right. This was not a public meeting. This was... No, it wasn't at the YWAM base. It was in our living room. And you and your friends ministered to us with just real prophetic insight. And I think it only took about three days to point out a handful of lies and break them off. And all of a sudden, I was, I was back on my feet. And we began, we began asking, you know, who else does God want to do this with? And so we started inviting some key people in the base, and it happened over and over. And so for two weeks, we worshiped and invited the presence of God and broke off lies. Well, when you guys left, Maria says to me, we've got to do this for the Japanese. And it was just a no-brainer. <laughs> and so, like, let's let's just worship, invite Holy Spirit, and let him bring freedom to the Japanese. And what do we call it? And, and I was like, well, it started in the living room. Let's just call it the living room. Let's. And so, we started, we met with this, this pastor in the inner city who was super kingdom guy, very excited. And we showed up and started, um, it would have been eight years ago now, I want to say, maybe nine. Wow. And we just began to do exactly what I just described. We, we would show up and we would worship, let Holy Spirit show up and do whatever he told us to do. Midweek in the yeah. evening. Yep. What was it? Not, was it not, not, not a Sunday Tuesday? thing at all, right? No, we wanted to make no. sure that we were not in competition with any of the churches because right. we had a sense that people would come from all over and boy, they did. Yeah. Yeah. Something we, we both know about Japan is, um, I mean, this is true of, uh, the modern world all over the world, mm. but, uh, getting people out midweek to an evening service, you know, not especially the Japanese, because a lot of them work late until the night and they have to right. go have dinner with the boss afterwards. But uh, so in, in one sense, that was taking a chance. It was. But it was um, uh, it, part of the, I guess, the, 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 the genius of the design that God gave you was this, this, had, this, this was kind of a place that people... Um, wanted to be rather than they were attending because they had joined the club or that it was their, you know, their church on Sunday morning or whatever. Yeah. And so the, it was really positioned in such a way to be discovered 
but once discovered, it it drew those people in who were desperate and hungry and and thirsty and seeking. Well, we decided right off the bat that we were going to allow Holy Spirit to absolutely have His way, unapologetically let Holy Spirit do what He's going to do. We had no agenda to be user-friendly or seeker-sensitive. And I'm not criticizing that. Say I'm that saying, again. Say that again. No commitment in any way to be user-friendly or seeker-sensitive. We were going to let, it, we made a decision that it was the Lord's meeting. And he told us early on, he goes, I interrupt you. You do not interrupt me. Mm. And, and, and that sounds so good on paper. <laughs> but oh, I'm telling you something that, that how many times that got challenged, how many times the Lord would have us wait. And I would feel this pressure from years of doing church. I feel this pressure to make something happen. And I, one classic moment, I, I was like, Lord, I don't know what to do. And I heard him clear as day go, then don't do anything. It's like, oh, and, and it really requires that he is actually the one, a belief, I should say, that he is actually the one driving things. Mm-hmm. That <laughs> This sounds so stupid, but that Holy Spirit is actually capable of running a meeting all by himself if we will simply say yes. Really? Yeah. It's like, without him, we can't do it. But without us, he won't do it. And there's this partnership that we've been called into that is he's looking for that yes. And and it's interesting. He doesn't want to possess us or pull puppet strings. He's looking for a continual yieldedness by which he then is allowed access through his body to touch his people. It it's It's such a departure from what we understand to be heavily programmed, scheduled right. um, events, Sunday services. I know uh, because we were in Japan at the time and, and part of that with you, watching some people come in and they were usually those people who are already church people and, and they didn't have a clue what was going on. I mean, they look around <laughs> the room like, Who's the leader here? Like, who's in charge? And it was, I mean, not always. Sometimes it was, you know, it was, it was really clear. But um, it was, and I'm getting back to the pioneering thing we're talking about here. It wasn't just pioneering because it was a new work. It was pioneering because it was a departure from old thinking and old ways. Right. Yeah. I think one of the things that would freak people out is, when our worship leaders would step away from their instrument, the microphone or whatever, get on their face and begin to weep because the Lord was doing something in them. And so instead of maintaining this professional veneer, it's like, well, the Lord's on me and I've got to respond to it. Mm. You know? And I think that unnerved the Japanese leaders that would come. Mm. Because instead of us being together. We're the professional Christians who are going to teach you how to be a a good, solid rock. It was more like, no, we're sons and daughters who know when it's time to climb up in daddy's lap. Mm. You know, 
because one of our, our, our cultural values in Waiwan, Tokyo, was you get to be weak and strong at the same time. You don't have to choose. Right. Yeah. So there you are. You've, you, you, you've been called by God to go to Japan. Yeah. You pioneer a base. Right. Um, you are, of course, in that there is the doing the things that YWAM does and yep. Um, yep. doing and doing it well, doing those things well. But all of a sudden, there is this in the city, uh, midweek evening, build an altar of worship. Yep. And call upon my presence, host my presence. Yes. And my presence will draw yep. who, uh, whoever is seeking me, my presence. And so people would come um, with little or no agenda other than to honor God. Right. And to worship him. And then things started happening. Yeah. Right? We, I, we, <laughs> again, it, when you invite Holy Spirit, it gets messier. You know, we, 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 we look at what it says, you know, in, in, in Corinthians, all things decently and in order. And, and that has become like a mantra for people as to, to measure whether, you know, this is legitimately of the Lord or not. But what he's speaking to is, is a group of people who are really out of control and didn't understand kingdom in their expression of the spirit. And I think it is a big mistake to extrapolate from that, that if Holy Spirit's there, nothing's going to be uncomfortable. Because Paul goes into Ephesus, preaches a sermon that creates such conviction that it literally overturns a satanic industry. It's, it is a transformational process that disrupts the economy of a city and a riot breaks out. Well, you know, all things decently in order. That couldn't have been God because a riot broke out. <laughs> okay, so we have these people coming in who, you know, J Japan makes, I, I love this country, and, 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 and I want to be so clear how much I love so much of the culture and feel like there are things that are so kingdom that they carry that I want to see extended to the world. But it is also factually true that Japan makes regular satanic covenants all the time. Every New Year's, most of the Japanese go to temple and rededicate themselves to demons. You know, that's not culturally sensitive to say, but that is what's happening in the spirit. When they build a new building, they bring the, the Shinto priest out to dedicate the land. And after the building's built, they bring in the Buddhist priest to, to bless the building. And, you know, and I could just go on and on. And so, the, there's a lot of demonic activity. Mm. And so even after these people become Christians, they're not always completely free. And so they'd come walking in the room. I, again, this this one woman, she came walking in. And the minute she walked in the door, I was like, oh, she has critters. <laughs> I, knew she, I knew she had critters the minute she walked in. And she goes over and sits down. And, and I kind of make eye contact with couple of my prophetic super ninjas and I need I didn't need to because they had re registered her as well already and I, I was about to go into this one song Holy Spirit 
shifted over to this one song earlier than I had felt like we were going to. We'll talk about songs here in a minute. But I was about to go into this song, and the Holy Spirit goes, get ready. (laughs) And I knew she was going to manifest during this song. And ironically, I remember it was a song about declaring the unconditional love of God. And the minute we started singing, she's like, she manifests, <laughs> falls on the ground, and starts slithering like a snake across the floor. Oh, boy. Yeah, all things decently and in order. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what's decent and in order is she got walked through forgiveness and repentance and renunciation mm-hmm. and got deliverance, and she left free. Praise the Lord. That's decent and in order in the kingdom. Yeah, yeah. I think there's so many testimonies that came out of those nine years, but one big testimony that that um, that has really impressed me was how many of your people, your staff, got their a revelation for going somewhere else to plant. Yeah, to pioneer. The, the Lord gave me a picture very early on of me with my own hand open and my staff standing on the palm of my hand. And he said to me, if you commit to never close your hand, I will always bring more, but you're, uh, you're an apostolic clearinghouse. They come there, they get established, they catch a DNA of kingdom, but then I want to send them out. You can't collect them. Hmm. You're not allowed to build a base again. Can't hang on to them. You can't. They're not. They're not mine. You know. It, that's when I began to really go deeper in my revelation of spiritual fatherhood. Yeah. Because the goal for any healthy father is to see their kids grow up and leave home. That's what you want. You know. I I, I did a lot of premarital counseling, and I would say, how do you know? when you've succeeded as a parent and, and very few people had an answer to that. Mm. I said, it's when your grandkids like your kids, it's thinking generationally, Mm -hmm. because if your grandkids enjoy their parents, that means there was something that got instilled that, that couldn't be shaken. Mm. Well, likewise, spiritually, the goal is to reach the world the goal is to establish governmental assemblies, the ecclesia, not plant churches, establish the kingdom ecclesia all over and to make disciples of the nations. And if you're collecting them, you, you, you can actually end up with children who fail to grow up. You end up you, with servants and slaves. Yeah. Or rather than cogging your wheel, yes, yeah, and we don't want to we don't want to um, underestimate or um, trivialize the challenge there is uh, when a leader has to face taking some of his prime people, and especially when they're saying we have a vision, God's calling us to go, Um, Uh we're meant to pioneer somewhere else. Like you don't say, okay, nice to know you see around, you know, we'll be praying for you. You know, like it's like uh, everything changes and 
there, of course, there needs to be wisdom practiced in that. Some people want to go before they're ready and other people want to stay when they're ready to go. Yep. And again, I come back to the parenting analogy. When your kids leave home, you cry. Mm-hmm. Even when you know it's healthy and right for them to go. And so we're not called to be stoic through it, you know. It's like when Greg and Rachel left to pioneer YOM Hokkaido. That was always going to be what they did. I knew that when they came in. I thought we were going to have them for two years. We ended up getting to keep them for seven. They became some of our best friends on the planet. But they came with a specific vision to reach the northernmost island of Japan. And the day came that it was time to go. And it was time to go. To stay would have been wrong. Mm. But, oh, I grieved. And then Lindsay and her husband felt to go with them. No, wait, no, wait a second. I released <laughs> Greg and Rachel. You can't have Kyle and Lindsay, no, too. No, that wasn't part of the deal. No, 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 no. Oh, sorry, Lord, but I'm going to have to say no. <laughs> but you release them with blessing because mm-hmm. it is about the kingdom, mm-hmm. not your kingdom. It's about raising up the people of God to know themselves as the children of God so that they might walk in their destiny and purpose in advancing the kingdom of God. Yep. I mean, that's it. Yep. That's it. And it's supposed to hurt. If it doesn't hurt, you probably don't really love them or you're playing it safe. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta let it hurt. It's okay to hurt. Yeah. 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 So you're in Alaska now. Yes. <laughs> and uh, we just have a few minutes left. Uh, uh, you're in Alaska, and God's called you to do... Uh, okay, uh, again, a little bit of context. It was actually, we started in Japan something called the School of Worship and Transformation. Not about producing platform worship leaders, but about producing prophetic worshipers who understand how to shift the atmosphere first of their own heart, then their community, then cities, then nations. And we're praying about outreach locations. And I'm asking the Lord, Lord, I give you permission to say something new to me. (laughs) And he speaks Alaska. And I'm like, Alaska, that's, that's America. There's Christians there, but it won't go away. And I would love to tell this whole story at length, but All I could tell you is every time we prayed about Alaska, I got thwacked. I'd start sobbing. I'm like, what is going on here? Um, But I'm slow. Mark, I'm I'm slow. I I don't get things quickly. And we're, We're in Alaska on an outreach, and all these crazy doors open up. We're leading worship all kinds of places, doing prophetic ministry in the northernmost community in all of the United States, the second most isolated community on earth, and just crazy stuff, you know. And we were back down in where we are now, this place called Wasilla near Anchorage, And all of a sudden, I don't want to go back to Japan. And I thought I was backsliding. Serious moment. I thought I was backsliding. I was trying to, I'm taking my hand off the plow. So I start repenting. Oh, Lord, give me my heart for Japan back. And I'm so sorry. And the more I repented, the stronger this thing for Alaska was. And I still loved Japan. Japan was going to be where we were going to be till we died. Well, I come home and 
tell my wife who is good at telling me no. I like that about her. Yeah, you're missing it, McDaniel. You got to pray. <laughs> yeah. But she feels this wetness. So it was kind of like the Japan thing in reverse. And so we start praying. And ironically, you were, you were our first confirmation. God was. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Whatever. You and I get what I mean by that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because we had actually asked the Lord to speak to one of our prophetic friends. And it was, it was you and Pete that, that you're like, Lord, would you speak to Mark and or Pete? We need something sovereign. And you call up, you're like, hey, so uh, yeah, there's a way you ask things, Mark, that always cracks me up. So what's the Lord saying to you? And I got super coy as you were calling, like, um, well, what's the Lord saying to you? <laughs> and you, you end up, you know, uh, we're using Voxer, I believe. And you're Voxed back and you're like, I don't know. Just was turned into Jane, and I said, "I wonder if the Lord's calling these guys to Alaska." And can you talk? And we got on the phone, and so that began uh, a year's worth of prophetic confirmation. That's actually more prophetic confirmation to come to Alaska than there was to go to Japan, which has, I think, been really important mm. because we're back at a time where North America is in real crisis. We're back in a place where the enemy is clearly making a big play. Um, and the church has got to rise up. The mm. ecclesia has to yes. rise up. And so the Lord began to speak to me in Japan that all these lessons, you know, we didn't, we didn't talk at all about the combat and dealing with the religious spirit and all these things that I had to learn to fight through in Japan. But the Lord said that was all training <laughs> oh. for what, what? Yeah, it's like, that's, wait a second. What? Um, <laughs> that was all training for what I want to do in North America. And so the highest point in North America is in Alaska and the Lord likes high places. Mm -hmm. And we just have a real strong sense that it's, it's the same thing. Build the altar of worship build people, not ministries. It's about building health, but with a very specific intercessory capacity to begin to cry out for a move of God in North America and, and the nations. And I think it's, as you've already said, so significant that the Lord is a, has identified that in fact, the living room as you as it was first experienced and and uh, uh, envisioned and experienced and and worked itself out in japan was was training for what you're about to step into yeah and and I would say out of uh, you know that we've already stepped into it um we're we're hanging out with this group of people that have are just again kingdom minded folks um and we every other Sunday are already just it's again we show up we worship we let the lord do what he wants to do and these pretty heavy hitter intercessors are already buying in and and i feel like we're already beginning to shake things and and i just want to see it happen in multiple places and so i'm just excited to see what this next season's going to look like mm -hmm. wonderful wonderful well we are out of time and mm. there's so many other things I'd like to talk to you about. 
But I just want to finish by saying, and then I'll ask you to pray, that um, when Jesus spoke to his disciples, he said that he was the vine and they were the branches, and that mm. apart from him, that they could do nothing. And um, I believe that whether it's church planting or pioneering a new work, uh, whatever it is the Lord would have us do. that Yeah, business, education, government, all of it. All, all the above, when it is, it is an expression of faith and obedience um, in alignment with the will of God, then it is the branch that is growing. Come on. Um, you know, the vine has been established, and uh, we don't need a new vine. And so in Japan, in Alaska, here where I am in Alberta, wherever the Lord calls us to be, that I believe that says that all that growing, that new work, that pioneering is not separate. It's not, it's not kind of, we're just, you know, all the rest is insignificant. We're doing a new thing because, you know, we're going to cancel everything of the past right. and start all That's over good. again. So I just really, um, I know it's your heart. It's certainly my heart. We, um, we love the church that Jesus loves. Yes. And when we talk kingdom, we, we talk about the kingdom with a, with that heart and understanding that we are the branches that he is growing to do his work and that yes. we don't want to be on our own or apart from him, but to see, um, to continue to have him do his thing, do his stuff to reveal the father to, uh, through our lives. And so, yeah, I'll leave the final comment to you and then would you please pray for those who are listening today, um, particularly those who are thinking about that they're called to pioneer or go to another yeah. nation to be part of a pioneering work? Yeah, yeah. I, I really like what you just said, and I want to echo and reinforce. You know, when we're talking about church culture, we're not diminishing the bride. You know, we're not speaking against faithful men and women of God who put their hand no, in the no. plow, you know, uh, you, you can't be cool with God and talk bad about his wife. You know, that's, a, that's, that's an important <laughs> well thing to get, but yeah, there's, but I do think everybody listening has to recognize that the enemy is terrified of the bride. The enemy is terrified of the body of Christ. The enemy is terrified of sons and daughters recognizing the governmental authority they carry and actually stepping into that authority and, and hear this. Listener, you need to hear this. There is an entitlement that children have with their parents that, you know, sons and daughters always have a right to their father's lap. And there's an entitlement to come into the presence of God that, mm. that he, he himself said, come boldly yes. before the throne of grace. Mm. And, and this isn't about arrogance. In fact, it's the deepest humility to recognize that, that as royalty, we have the right to the king's lap. Mm. And there's a humility that produces. But likewise, we, we really have to recognize what we are designed to carry and that there has been a war against us rising up and that there has to be a boldness there as well to insist, hear this, please hear this, that we insist that things change in our cities. Yes. We insist Agreed. that 
that kingdom businesses rise up, that kingdom educators rise up, that we insist that kingdom people get put into government, and that the smartest and the best entrepreneurs get ideas straight from heaven, Mm. because we're designed to change the planet. And we could we could get in a whole talk about end times theology some other point. It's a, it would be a fun discussion to have. But if I could give the listeners a takeaway, you are sons and daughters who need to come boldly before the Lord, and you are on your father's business. You are about mm. your father's business, just like Jesus was. And you've got kingdom stuff to do, and he has given you all power and authority. He says, all power. All, I should, I'm sorry, all authority has been given to you. Therefore, go and make disciples. So listen, you have, you're bigger than you think. You are, and that again, that should produce humility, not arrogance. And so I want to pray that you get a deeper revelation of the bigness of God dwelling in you for the purposes of insisting as the ecclesia in agreement with other members of the ecclesia that there be shift in your cities. Yes. It's time. We yes, have Lord. to just follow the news. We have to right now. We cannot hope for the divine rescue mission. Please don't hear any cynicism in that. We are the hands and feet of the Lord, and he wants to use us. So, yes. yes. So, so, Holy Spirit, we invite you right now to come. Mm. We invite your presence. We, and we acknowledge that you're here, but we invite you as a way of intentionally stopping and reorienting, allowing you to reset the compass of our heart. Because, Father, you have called each one of us as sons and daughters to move out into the nations yes, Lord, with the kind of authority to proclaim that there's a new king in town that the old king has been defeated and that the true king is in his rightful place and that there is a shift coming, that the shalom, the peace of the Lord is coming through his church, through his ecclesia, through his governmental assembly Mm. to shift things. And I just right now speak to everybody listening that you would get an excitement right this very second, that there would be an excitement that would grow up in you to say, God's designed me to bring change. Yes. And so that if you're a third grade teacher, that you would, as you're driving into school, that you would, you would say, Lord, I carry the authority of the kingdom and I ask you to manifest kingdom in my classroom. Mm-hmm. That if you're a dentist, that you would go into your practice going, I'm not just here to fix teeth. I'm here to advance the kingdom. I'm going to fix hearts. I'm going to build mm-hmm. people. Yes. That if you're a businessman or woman, I just want to pray revelation over you that you would be given Holy Spirit strategies to see your business grow, not so that you can become wealthier, but so that you can actually see kingdom ethics and practices model mm-hmm. the goodness and the bigness of God and resource more kingdom. Yes. And so yes. I just pray over all of you that you right now would get an excitement that say, that you would rise up in your spirit and say, I'm bigger than I think because the one who measures the universe by the span of his hands dwells in my heart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that you would walk into a newness of your call, that you would not be content to warm a seat two hours a week, but that you would say, Lord, what have you designed me to do? Mm -hmm. 
to see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. And I thank you, Lord God, that you're going to use these men and women to set regions free, because that's what you've designed us to do. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I agree. I agree. And that's our show for today. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Kingdom Talk. You can find all the notes and links for today's show at our website, www.kingdomadvanceministries.com forward slash podcast. And once again, if you enjoyed our show, be sure to subscribe so that you won't miss any of our upcoming episodes. Bye for now, and may God bless.